We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. IB Nation, welcome back to another edition of the Irish Breakdown Podcast. It is Monday, January 15th. It is a cold, cold, cold and snowy day here in good old Granger, Indiana, just outside of South Bend. It is me, Brian Driscoll, the owner and publisher at Irish Breakdown. And it's just going to be me today. I am so sorry that you all are stuck with just me today. But Ryan is a little under the weather. He is here. He'll be producing the show. So he'll be you know, uh, it's, he'll join at some point in time and start bringing up questions and helping me make today's show as good as it can be. Lots going on. You know, it used to be where this time of the year was kind of boring and not a lot going on, but that's certainly not the case now. Just put something on the message board here about 15 or so minutes ago, uh, updating where all the Notre Dame coaches are going to be tomorrow when the staff hits the road. They are going to have a blitz coming up here. They're going to be all over the country. They're going to be in California this week. They're going to be in the Northeast, the Southeast. They're going to be visiting some top local prospects. Man, there's just a lot going on. This staff is getting after it. There's no doubt about that. And, of course, the Notre Dame players reported this week. And so you we have a much better idea of kind of who's going to be on campus, at least for the spring, and who's playing and all these type of things. And so I had a feature today at Irish Breakdown looking at sort of a first-glance look of, of the Notre Dame offense for 2024, what they lost, what they have coming back, all that kind of stuff. And that's we'll have a couple shows this week breaking that down, Ryan and I. And then we'll also have a show – well, breaking down the transfer portal class this week and, and just the impact that it brings because, man, I'll tell you, I, boy, I got to – man, I, I'm fired up about this portal class. I really am. And and because because of what it adds to an already really, really good roster. So very excited to see how that's going to go. So we'll, we'll have a busy week. Of course, I have a recruiting show this week. Ryan's working on getting some really good guests this week for the show, so I'm very much looking forward to seeing that. So just lots going on, everybody. And uh, so we're ready. I'm ready to get to it. And, and get this thing rocking and rolling. And uh, again, if you're going to add any questions, put MB on there. So that way we know it's an actual question and not just, you know, people chatting in the ch- show. Because you you're, guys are more than welcome to have conversations. So hopefully it's about stuff that we're talking about here. But uh, I know sometimes they go in different directions. But, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll answer all the, all the questions you have. Obviously, Super Chats move to the front of the line. So if you have something you want to get in there right away. Uh, we'll be ready to rock and roll. So anyway, uh, I'm I'm ready to get started. Hope you guys have some great questions. We've already got over 30 in the queue already. That's partly why I was late. Was just kind of going through and starting all the questions before Ryan gets in here, and just getting uh, getting situated and ready for the day. So I'm ready to rock and roll, everybody. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, 
So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. So we're going to start off. We've got a question from Garen Nutson. Thank you, Garrett. Is Owen Strebig a pure tackle? And how does he stack up against pure tackles in recent indie classes with regard to his skill set and ability to play immediately at the next level? A C- couple things. I'll kind of work backwards on this one. I do not view Owen Strebig as a guy that I necessarily want to come in and play as a freshman based on where he is right now. And that's normally true for juniors. I mean, that's the real, I mean, he's six, what, 16, maybe 17 years old. He's not a kid that you're going to look at and say, hey, college ready. You know, there's guys like that, but they're they're usually pretty rare at that age. And so, no, I, I don't think he's that. I Now, could he be by the time he's a senior? Absolutely. I mean, there's no way in heck that I would have said, you know, at watching Joe Walt as a freshman or, I mean, as a senior in high school, that I would have said, hey, this guy's going to come in and and start seven games at the end of the year next year and be a freshman All-American and all. I, I was like, no, that kid's going to need a couple years. So, I mean, linemen develop differently than skilled players, right? I mean – it's just it's offensive lineman, I should say. So is he a guy that I, I view as ready to come play at the next level? No, but I honestly don't often look for offensive linemen to have to come play the, the immediately. Like I've talked about Gerby Lambert in the 2024 class having a chance to come in and play right away, but it's because of his skill set, right? I mean, he's, he's just that good, but there's also some potential openings. In a perfect world, Owen Strebing and that entire offensive line class is going to be able to come in. Right now, it's Will Black, and obviously Owen Strebing's a big target. Maddie Augustine uh, is a target. Josh Petty's a target. There's other guys on the board. I expect that list to expand a little bit if they don't get commitment soon from guys like Owen Strebing and Maddie Augustine. If they don't fill that up a little bit, I think you'll see that board expand a little bit. So, uh, when I look at Owen Strebig, you know, I loved his sophomore film. His junior film was good. There's more I want to see. I haven't seen any game film yet. It's all been highlights so far. So just keep that in mind that, especially with linemen, highlights are going to tell you so much. But you know, he's a big, strong kid. You know, he he's still learning to play. He had a bit of a growth spurt, it would seem like maybe he grew a couple more inches as a junior compared to what was as a sophomore. So he's getting up to like six, eight, six, nine now. You hope he doesn't really have any more vertical growth left in him. You know, still getting used to playing with that pad level, and and that kind of sapped a little bit of his just pure physical dominance this year. But you still see it. You still see the flashes. He's a pretty athletic kid for that size, moves pretty well laterally for that size. He's still growing into his body. So there are there is a little bit of awkwardness at times, but as he matures and and kind of stops growing, um, you know, then, then, then you're going to see, you, you know, you're going to see them, you're going to see a kid like him just kind of really, uh, I'm trying to explain like there, you see these kids that like have these big early growth spurts. And I've talked about this with guys in the past, 
And sometimes it can mess up their movement, you know, it's because they have this growth spurt. They're just not. But then you see certain traits that you're like, hey, when this kid stops growing and starts filling out and gets older, you know, I really think his quickness and his ability to move is going to take off. And, and Owen strikes me as that. I mean, for me, he's a guy that that I, I think is a a very high upside guy that has a lot of room that he needs to grow and can grow. As far as being a pure tackle, I would I would assume so based on his size. I don't know how fired up you're going to be to have a six eight guy right up the middle of the defense, but in a shotgun offense, you can get away with it. There are things about his game that could make me think he can move to tackle, but when I view view Owen Street, I see him as more of a more of a tackle right now. Like I, I look at, at at Will Black, I think he's a guy that can maybe move inside, but you know he's pretty tall too. He's six seven. I think Jack Lang, the kid from Kansas, I believe he's from Kansas. I could see maybe being a guard. He's got a lot of the de- – he's an athletic kid, more than athletic to play on the edge, but it's more of a demeanor thing. You know, I could see him having the demeanor to move inside and play that position. Missouri. So Ryan just texted me. He's from Missouri. So he's a kid that I like a lot that I could maybe see moving inside. But that, and that's the thing, though, right? Like, we saw this with Coach Eastan, and it would seem that Coach Rudolph and Coach Eastan have a similar recruiting philosophy in that they tend to look for tackles, and then you can figure out which tackle you're going to move inside. I mean, even Anthony Knapp, who was a pure inside projection, was a left tackle in high school and a pretty good left tackle in high school. You know, Joe Odding played inside. He's a bit on the rare side, right? Ashton Craig's a guy that was a tackle. Billy Strouth was a guy that played guard and tackle in high school. So you see a lot of these guys that are tackle bodies or tackle types that could play tackle that end up moving inside. I mean, I think, you know, Quentin Nelson started off a tackling at, at Notre Dame. I know Tommy Kramer started as a redshirt freshman at right tackle for Notre Dame before moving inside. Josh Lugg's first starts in college were at tackle before he moved inside. Jared Patterson played some at tackle before he moved inside. You'll get your Zeke Carells and you'll get your, you know, your guys like an Ashton Craig started inside. Billy Shrouth started inside. So, you, you know, you have guys that you're recruiting to play inside. But a lot of times you recruit, you know, you recruit these tackle types. Coach Eastan was famous for that, and it looks like Coach Rudolph is is continuing that trend, where they're really looking for length and size and power, and then they'll figure out who's going to move inside or not. Next question is from John A. One. Modern college football is changing radically. What are your top three things that you love about modern college football, and and top three things you wish weren't? in modern college football. Well, I I mean, one thing is there is such a greater understanding of player safety. And yes, I I believe that I I believe sometimes that they go too far with certain things. Um, But I would rather you err on the side of being too cautious overall than, than, than not. And like when I watch the NFL, for example, I, I don't think like I watched, um, you know, I, I've told you on the past, I watched playoff games and I watched uh, like this weekend, I watched the Chiefs and the Dolphins and I watched the Lions Rams game last night. And, and I watched a little bit of the Browns Texans game. Didn't watch much of the Packers. I didn't watch any of the Packers uh, Cowboys game and I didn't watch much of uh, there was another an, another game. Yeah, actually, no, th- those are it. So anyway, I was watching the the Chiefs game the other night against the Dolphins and they called this personal foul on Christian Wilkins he just kind of pushed Pat Mahomes and he you know goes flying and then you know totally sells it and I'm just like good lord like that's not that's not being cautious for injury that's just that's just um I mean that's just unnecessarily protecting the quarterback I don't think college football is there yet they're they're not they're not there yet where it's like okay this is ridiculous you're just protecting uh, quarterbacks or whatever. I don't view it that way. I think the issue that I have with college football is not so much the desire to protect players. I'm, I'm good with that. I just, as I've said, I just don't like the targeting, the punishment of the targeting rule. I'm, I'm, I understand it. I'm, I'm fine with it. I don't want to ever get rid of the targeting rule. You've never heard me say, get rid of the targeting rule. Uh, or if I did, that's a sloppy way of explaining what I believe. What I believe is the punishment for targeting needs to change. And it needs to go to, uh, to more of a, you know, to more of a like personal fouls, right? You get a personal foul, you get 15 yard penalty, you get a second personal foul, you can get ejected. 
and it, something along those lines to where it's that kind of thing. Or if it's like a, a, a blatantly dirty hit, which we know a dirty hit when we see it. So that's, I mean, so, so, so the injury thing is one, I, I, I do like the modern game in college much, much more than the NFL. I know a lot of people are NFL folks and I just, I don't enjoy the NFL to be honest with you, because it just, it's not football the way that I appreciate and like football. Right. And, and when I think of football, you know, I, I think of, are you, you know, I want to have the run game. I want that to matter. I want the defense to be a thing. I like the physicality of the game and, and the NFL is just so much harder to, to, to be physical and now and nowadays. And then some of the things they've done to try to quote unquote, protect players is, I mean, honestly, it's, it's like it exposes them to more danger. And, and, you know, I saw that hit yesterday on, on Tyler Higby, the tight end for the Rams and people are like, Oh, you know, you shouldn't go low and take a knee out like that, but it's like, but what else is he supposed to do? If he goes high, he gets ejected, you know, for, for hitting, hit him high or, or whatever the case may be. It's just, there are some things that the NFL does. You're just like this game, the game is just not good, you know? And, and when you look at the NFL, there was what, like one team that averaged over 150 yards a game. It's the Ravens that, you know, there was only two teams that are over other two other teams are over 140. It just I don't enjoy the game as much as I used to at the NFL level. I still love the college game. You know, I love all the variety that you see in the college game. You know, you've got the air raid on one week and you've got a pro style, you know, 21 personnel, traditional 21 personnel team another week. And, you know, then you're facing the triple option the next week and a spread team the next week and a pro style spread team the next week. And, you know, defensively, you see all these changes, four, two, five, four, three, 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 five, three, four. You just see all this variety in the in the college game that that just doesn't exist at the in the National Football League, and it's something I still love about the college game. It's just you know it, the the game is still fun to watch. It's aesthetically pleasing to me, and and at the end of the day, I mean that that's what determines if people like a sport or not. Is it aesthetically pleasing? I mean, there's a lot of people, and we all know this, that don't know jack about the sport, but they love it because you know they can watch it and, and get visual enjoyment from it and and i think college football is still very much a very fun enjoyable game uh in, in my view I, I very much enjoy it another thing i like about the modern game is i do i've always felt that there needs to be there need to be things that we need to do to take care of players I don't, I, I've been, I've changed my views on what that needs to be over time, but I've always felt we need to do things to take better care of players. I mean, you know, there was a time not that long ago that full cost of tuition wasn't even a thing and that's absurd. And, and, and the NCAA did so many things to try to protect their twisted view of amateurism. I'm, I believe in amateurism. I fully believe in amateurism. I believe that the way the manner in which it was defined by the NCAA for so long was foolish and it wasn't about protecting amateurism. It was about protecting the bottom line and, and, and the, all the money coming into the sport over the last 30 years. And now they're paying the price and it's, it's, you know, it's unfortunate, but I do like the fact that there's at least a mechanism now for players to be able to protect themselves and, and earn money off of their name, image, and likeness in a proper fashion, like AJ Green getting suspended for selling his jerseys in college was always just stupid. I mean, he should have gotten suspended because I'm a believer that you know the rules, and if you break the rules, you deserve the punishment, right? Like we could argue that I think it's silly in where I live in Virginia for the speed limit to be 55 miles an hour on highways. I think it's stupid. But if I get pulled over for going 75 on a 55 because I think the highway should be 70 like it is for me here in Indiana, okay, I still am going to get a ticket because I knew what the rules were. But it should have never been a rule to where he should have been gotten in trouble for. I think of the Jeremy Bloom situation where they basically made him quit playing football uh, because he was making money. Was it skiing or snowboarding? I think he was a skier, right? And it's just like, that's just stupid. Like, what, what, what are we doing here? How, how does that protect amateurism? How does that protect the game? It was always foolish. And so I like the fact that there are mechanisms now for players to be able to monetize their skill, their ability to play football. I mean, we talked about for years how there's kids that, that have had needs, financial needs to take care of their family. And so they were, they were 
basically bribed to go play at X school because they would buy the mom and dad a house or they'd take care of medical bills. They'd give the kid money that he needed to send home to help his family because he he didn't want his younger brothers and sisters to have to struggle every day like he did. So maybe he doesn't make a decision that's based on who's going to look out for me and who's going to develop me and where can I get an education? Cause it's like, I, I gotta, I'm the man of the house. There's no dad around. I gotta go, you know, take this money. And there's always been situations like that. Now those kids are in a little better position to where if they truly want to go somewhere that, 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 you know, Hey, I, I, I yes, I want to take care of my family, but I really want to go get this degree from Notre Dame, or I really want to go be developed by this coach over here. Who's great at producing my position, even though, you know, but in the past, maybe that school's not offering money. Now he may say, okay, this school's offering this, this school's offering this, you know, I can still take care of my family for lesser money because I really want to go here. Cause I know in the long run, it's going to benefit me. Now those kids have options like that. I mean, but that's, that's a, that's not the primary reason you do it. The primary reason you do it is because you're, you're producing billions of dollars. And I, I think we tend to over over inflate the, uh, the 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 players role in it and i know some people aren't gonna like this but i mean players are important but let's be honest you could kick off every you could you could have every kid on go say hey i'm not gonna play college football anymore every kid on scholarship at in a power five school does that and guess what there's gonna be some kids that step up say "I'll, i'll play and a ton of fans are still gonna watch that sport because it's about the golden helmet it's about you know, the scarlet and gray. It's about the crimson tide. It's about, you know, hook them horns. It's about horns down. It's about whatever. It's about the school. It's about your tie to the, to the, the program more so than individual players, but it doesn't, but you still need players on the field, right? So there needs to be that balance and where you don't want the, the college football to me is way too player driven now, which is something that ruined the NBA in a lot of ways, protecting players, providing for players is a good thing. It's a very good thing, but it's gone too far. So when you get to the part of the question about things that you weren't part of, which wish I weren't part of modern football, it's not so much that I wish they weren't a part of it. I just wish that they were done in a way that's different. And, I, and so I'll, I'll, I'll use those as kind of a thing. I wish the op- open portal the way that it is now was not a part of college football. I've said this a million times. I'm not going to belabor the point again. I think it's absolutely absurd that players can just leave whenever they want. I, I do. I think it's ridiculous and transfer right away. Now, I, I, players have always been able to leave whenever they want. There's never been a rule saying you have to stay to school for four years or three years or two years. It's never been a rule. Players need to be able to, to, to have freedom of movement. They've always had freedom of movement. That's never not been restricted in my lifetime. I'm 45 years old. There's never been a time where players couldn't transfer. They're just where if you're going to transfer, there are certain things that that have to come into play. And And so to me, you know, that's something that that I think is is a very important piece of the game that needs to be fixed the way that it is now. I think the whole just pay for play thing is absolute nonsense. I have no desire to make players employees. And then the final thing for me that I that I wish wasn't part of modern football is the current makeup of the conferences. I think it's absolutely absurd. I think regionality is a very important thing in football. And I fear that we're destroying that. And I, and I don't think that's going to be good for the game. I, I think I got to those three things. Uh, so got a super chat from Iden Banami. Thank you, Iden. Uh, what does it say about the program? The fact we have so many mid-year enrollees, one to 10, how beneficial is this? What's What's been the normal number in past years? I think last year was the high with, I think they had like 11 or 12. Now it's up to 15. And I mean, it, I remember the first year, I believe the first year that they allowed mid-years was, I think, the 2006 class. And and it was like James Aldridge, because I believe it was the James Aldridge class, because James is one of those guys that was part of that, that first class. Mm-hmm. And here's what it says about the program. Let, let's look at it this way. It's another example of the school is willing to do certain things and make certain concessions that they know are going to benefit the football program. And one thing that I believe Brian Kelly did a really good job of during his time and Marcus Freeman has continued to build on that is Brian Kelly pointed out the, the academic and social advantages to players enrolling early. 
And when you start speaking that language, the school is going to be more receptive than, hey, we need to get this kid 15 practices and get him learning. And, and of course, the school's not stupid. You know, the, where, where um, they, I mean, they're not naive. And so, uh, you know, he, he said it's not about football. It's about this. No, no, it's about football. If there was no football benefit to it, then they wouldn't worry about it. But the fo- part of the football benefit is by the time these kids get to the fall, they're, they've got a semester under their belts in the classroom. They've had to learn about good habits and, and different things like that without the pressure of playing in a game where when a guy shows up as a, as a normal enrollee, he shows up in the summer. He'll take some summer school classes, but it's basically football. Then you get into fall camp. It's football, 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 and then you throw academics into the mix where when guys come in as a mid-year, it's weight room, but it's academics for the first two months, full two months. And then you kind of get into March and you'll start football. And so that's a really a benefit because it gives them that chance. So like your first week of class, you're like, okay, I got all these things coming up with class. I've got to learn where this building is. I've got to got, I got my syllabus. I got to go buy my books. I got to do all these kind of things. I, I've got, you know, all these things happening at the very beginning of a semester. And oh, by the way, we've got to get ready for the Purdue game this weekend. Or we've got to get ready for the, you know, because like it won't be Texas A&M because I don't think the school year will have started by then. But you start getting into that mid-second year and you're like, you know, you've played two games with no classes. And all of a sudden, just let's throw classes into this mix. Being a mid-year allows you to have a, a much better adaptation process. It gives you a much better chance to kind of come in. And, yes, the semester's hard and the football's hard and all that, but it's 15 practices. And then the kid gets to go home for a few weeks, see mom and dad, and kind of get over some of the, the homesickness, which impacts most players. And, and like, the people think, well, the only, guys that, the, you know, the only guys that get homesick are the guys that transfers. No. Most players have some level of homesickness. No matter, even if they love the place they're at, you're like you can be home. Like, uh, like I miss my parents like crazy. I'm 45 years old. I still have a great relationship with my parents. Talk to them every week. I, I I love being around them and all that kind of stuff. And then I get a little homesick, but I'm I'm not gonna quit my job and go back to Virginia just because I miss my parents. Right? I mean, you can love where you're at and still be homesick and not and and you know you got to do laundry for the first time in your life. Some of these kids, you're 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 having to plan out your meals for the first time in your, I mean, there's just a lot on these kids' plates that that we don't think about that coming in as a mid-year gives you a, a buffer period to where you don't have games to worry about, you don't have a bunch of press conferences to worry about, you don't have all that, you don't have to travel, so you're not missing class because you've got to leave Thursday night or Friday morning for a game. It's just a great buffer period, and and the school being willing to to help the players is huge. I mean, to me, it's a t- it's a nine on how it helps them. I mean, it, it, not every player has to be a mid year to to play as a freshman. I mean, Benjamin Morrison wasn't a mid year, and he was a freshman All American, but it's certainly beneficial. And and you, you get five, so about five extra months in the strength program. You get fourteen practices plus the blue gold game to learn the system, to learn the technique, to know the methodology of how you go about your business. I got to be here. I got to be there. Here's how meetings work. Here's how practice is structured, all those kind of things. And that gives you a chance to adapt. Adaptation's a huge thing. And, and so I, I think there's tons of them. I mean, the only, the only bad thing, the reason I don't say 10 out of 10, my one big drawback is it speeds up the growing up process a little, a little bit. And, and, and growing up is a good thing. But what I mean is a lot of these kids miss things that, that, you know, if you're an at student athlete and you say you're a great baseball player, you're a great, you, you like track or what, even if you, if you're not good at it, but you just, I just, I'm on the basketball team. I wanted to have this last go around with my teammates. I wanted to do this. I wanted to do that. And you got to make this tough decision to say, I'm not going to do that because I got to go to college early. And so we, we, we lose a little bit of that. And, and, you know, and we lose a little bit of that. I mean, a lot of these kids still go to prom, but it's, it's different. I mean, you, you're you're going to prom like you're leaving Friday to fly back to you know wherever you're from and you're going to prom that day. It's different than the whole you know process of getting ready to go to prom and and and, and all those type of things and, and your you know senior field trip if schools still do that or not. I don't even know if they do that anymore. But you know, oh, there's just a lot of things that 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 we all a lot of us experience that that graduated high school experience as our senior year that these kids don't get experience. So that's the only drawback. But it's 
you know, you, you're willing to sacrifice it. I, I, because you, you know, the benefit and what you're trying to accomplish in your future. So, um, that's why I say nine, but there's just so many benefits of it. You can't bring everybody in. There's a limit. I was explained to this this offseason, actually. There's a limit to how many new guys you can add in the middle of a year, NCAA-wise, not Notre Dame-wise, but NCAA-wise. And and so, you know, I'm, I'm Notre Dame's kind of getting to that limit now, uh, but uh, I, I'm still not quite sure of the rule. I'm still trying to figure that out, but that's kind of something I was told that, you know, it may, it may keep Notre Dame from getting – too many transfers because of it. And and there's still some uncertainty if, if not all the transfers are necessarily going to be potentially going to be mid-year guys. So that's something that they're working through too. But yeah, I, I think the mid-roll thing is evidence that Notre Dame is willing to work with the football program to do things that are beneficial for the football program. I have a super chat from Sean S. Thank you, Sean. Is your current gut feeling Notre Dame can make a run at a title in 24 or is it a legit cannon should? You know, I'm I'm still – this is a good question, Sean. It's the difference between could and the difference between can and should. Should they make a run at the national title in 2024? I don't know that I'm there yet because of how early it is, and there's still a lot of questions that I have about this team. How's the offensive line going to look? You know, for example, I was – if you look at the breakdown that I did um, – on the message board at irishbreakdown.com. And, and I, and I have an article where I kind of look at, you know, all the guys that are, that are showing up at, um, at Notre Dame and, and the guys that are, uh, you know, they're early. So I kind of say, okay, it's a great time to break down, you know, the first look at the, at the team. And so I have this article first glance, look at the 2024 Notre Dame offense and I'm going through, you know, what they lost and what they have coming back. And, and when you look at what they have coming back, I mean, they've got, almost a thousand rushing yards coming back from just this past season. And then you've got uh, 1,686 receiving yards and 20 touchdowns and 124 catches from this past season coming back. You know, that's pretty good. And then you're adding, here's the crazy number. You're adding uh, 130 catches, 2,038 yards and 10 more touchdowns from incoming transfers. So if you look at the production that Notre Dame has coming back in the pass game at the wide receiver position from just the 2023 season, Notre Dame, now this is what guys did at Notre Dame and other places, they're returning 254 catches, 3,724 yards and 30 touchdowns from just this past season, just receiving touchdowns, not even including like the two, you know, the uh, kick two kick return touchdowns that Jaden Harrison has or rushing touchdowns or anything like that. It's just receiving touchdowns. That's elite production. Then you look at the offensive line and you look at the fact that they've only got 34 career starts coming back and 10 of those may not come back. Right now I'm projecting Andrew Kristoffic because he hasn't announced he's leaving. He hasn't announced he's in, he hasn't on the portal. He hasn't announced that he's going pro. I mean, I, I, I've i always said I'm going to assume that guys are coming back until they say otherwise. And so when you look at that and you say 34 of those starts of those 34 starts, 10 of them are by a guy that, that is projected to be a backup next season. And Andrew Christoffic, if he doesn't win a starting job and then 13 others are just in Pat Coogan. So then you look at it and say, you know, can you really, should you demand a championship run when you have an offensive line that inexperienced? I, it's still kind of where I'm at now. I am flat out in the category of they could, make a, a title run and um, that can and could to me are the same thing. It's like, can they absolutely, should I demand it? It depends on, on, on how deep you're talking about. Like to me, should Notre Dame make the playoff and win at least one game? Absolutely. Absolutely. They should do that. That's the expectation. Should they then make the semis? I just need to see more about this team. And to be honest with you, Sean, I need to see more of what's returning from other teams, right? Like a week ago, I'd have said, and Ohio State, they're, they're going to take a big step back next year because I anticipated, you know, the JT leave and I anticipated Denzel Burke leaving. And there's just some some things that were, were going on that you're saying, hey, um, I just anticipate, well, JT announced he's coming back next year. So him and Jack Sawyer both be back next year. Denzel Burke announced he's coming back next year. Emeka Egbuk announced he's coming back next year. So now all of a sudden, my view of Ohio State has completely changed. 
even with Will Howard at quarterback, who's a solid player. I mean, he's not a lot different than Kyle McCord, and I think Ohio State was a really good football team last year. You're going to get a Mecca back. Cardinal Tate's going to be your older. You're going to have Travion Henderson back. Plus, you're getting Quinshaw Junkins in. So, yeah, I mean, their offensive line's a hot mess, but if they can figure that out, Ohio State's going to have a chance to be really good next year. A week ago, I, I wasn't very high on Ohio State. So there's just still a lot of decisions. Right now, USC, Caleb Williams is threatening basically to, and I'll address this here in a second too, You know, he's threatening to say, hey, I don't want to play for the Bears. So if the Bears aren't willing to tell to say that they're not going to take me or they're, they're going to trade the pick, then I'm going back to USC. Okay. I don't know if he's going to do that or not. I, I highly doubt it. But kids have more leverage in that regard now if you're the top quarterback because you can go back to school and make money. And that's what he's threatening. So, you know, my thoughts on who USC is going to be next year change dramatically if Caleb Williams comes back. So there's just still a lot about, you know, players in the portal, who where are they going to go? You know, who's going to add players? Who's going to lose players? You know, there's still coaching changes that are going to be happening that we don't know about yet at schools. I mean, right now, I, I'm projecting Michigan right now with Jim Harbaugh as their coach. I mean, until he leaves, I have to work with what we know. And right now what we know is, yes, he's interviewing for jobs. But remember, he was supposed to be leaving two years ago for the NFL and didn't. So I, I can't say Michigan's going to take a big step back right now because right now, as far as I know, Jim Harbaugh is their head football coach. If that changes, then my view of Michigan will change. And and so those are the things that, I, that, that make it hard to say that what Notre Dame should do because we just don't have enough knowledge of who else everybody's going to have. Right, what Bama kids are going to transfer, and where are they going to transfer to? Those things are going to shake things up. Who's going to transfer to Bama? There's just a lot going on, in, in my opinion, for uh, me to say definitively they should contend next year. But not no matter what happens, can they can 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 they contend next year? Absolutely. Um, could could they make a run at a title in 24? Absolutely, because of just the overall talent on the team on both sides of the ball. Even though they lose a lot, there's like like one of the things that was fascinating when I was breaking this down yesterday, looking at the offenses, you know, they're losing Sam Hartman and all his experience. Audric had, you know, a ton of experience. Chris Tyree played a ton. You know, you're losing 12 combined starts between Rico Flores and Tobias Merriweather. You're losing eight starts from Holden Stace. You're losing your two tackles who had who had uh, Joe Wald had made 33 career starts. Blake Fisher had made 27 career starts. That's 60 right there. Zeke Carell had made. Uh, 23 straight starts, and I think he had started, uh, believe, about th- about 30 games in his career. So you're talking about like 90 career starts you're losing. And you're like, man, that's 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 going to be tough. And then you, but then you look at it, you're like, Jaden Thomas has double digit career starts. Jaden Greathouse started 10 game, five games last year. Mitchell Evans has double digit career starts. Pat Coogan and Rocco Spindler both have double digit career starts. Jeremiah Love, Jadrian Price, Jabron Payne. Combined for almost a thousand, over a thousand yards of total offense last season. Coming back, Jordan Faison had two starts last year. Played a ton. Tion Colsey has played a lot of football. Eli Raritan's made several starts. You got to see Jagasaw, Craig, and Shrouth make starts down the stretch. You know Baker has started games, and then you talk about the incoming production. So you're like, you lost a lot from this year's team, but you're you, you lost nine guys from last year's team. Nine guys you're losing that made at least six starts. But yet you're also returning, let's see here, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17 players that have at least made at least one start in their career. Let's see, 5, uh, let's see, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, tw- at least 12, if not more guys that have started multiple games in their careers. So there's a lot of experience, even though there'll be some youth at some places. Love the quarterback and all that kind of stuff. But yes, they they can take a take a um, make a run. Now, I did want to address something about Caleb Williams, uh, Ryan. If you can take that question down real quick, I'll just address this before I move on to the next one. And and uh, the the Caleb Williams situation, and I and I, I saw on the board there's a lot of people saying, you know, well, he's a punk and he's classist and all this kind of stuff, and. And I, I just have a completely different take on that. And I don't know if this has been asked or not. And if it ha- if it does get asked later, we we'll just we we'll just won't bring it up because I'm, I'm addressing it now because I, I know this is something a lot of Notre Dame fans are talking about. And to me, I have no problem with Caleb with what Caleb Williams is doing. I mean, it actually makes sense. I mean, the Bears, let's be honest, are a 
failed organization right now. They they don't have a lot of purpose. They don't have a very good head coach. You're probably not going to play for that head coach for more than a year. You your ownership has just not shown that they know how to win in any way, shape, form, or fashion. So if you're Caleb Williams, you're looking at it saying, I don't want to play for that bad organization. I have some leverage. A, I can just say, I'm not playing for you. I'm, I'll come in the draft, but I'm not playing for you. So you draft me, you're wasting the number one overall pick because I'm not playing for you. But Caleb's in a situation, he's earned the right as the best quarterback in the draft class to use the leverage that he has. And he only gets one shot at it to use this particular leverage. Or, hey, you know what? Screw it. I'm going to go back play play college football again. And it reminds me a lot of the John Elway situation. John Elway had legitimate leverage over the Colts because he did this back in 1983. Now, in John Elway's case, he didn't have the ability to go back and play college football because he had played for four years at Stanford. But John Elway was a top baseball prospect. The year before his, I think it was the year before his senior year, he had played in the New York Yankees uh, minor league system. And, and, and I actually looked these up one time and I was like, wow, he was like legit, legit good. But he played in the single A uh, level for the, for the um, o- o- Oneata Yankees. I don't know if that's their nickname, but in that one year, he played in 42 games. This is before his senior year of college. This is 1982. He hit 318, had an OPS of 896, uh, had an on-base percentage of 432, hit six doubles, two triples, four homers, 25 RBIs. He He stole 13 bases in 42 games. He struck out 25 times in 42 games and walked 28 times. And he was considered an elite right fielder because, as we all know, he had a cannon for an arm. So he had leverage because of his – I mean, the Yankees wanted him bad. I mean, we've all heard the stories. So he had some leverage. He could say, hey, look, if you draft me, I'm going to go play baseball because he had that option. So he used his leverage, and the media attacked him for it like they're going to attack Caleb Williams for it and all that kind of stuff. And and But but it, it's a business. The NFL is a business, much, much more so than college football. And when you have leverage, and there's a right and a wrong way to use that leverage. Some players don't use leverage appropriately. Caleb, in my opinion, is using that leverage appropriately. Now, you know, it may not always be expressed the right way by his handlers and people around him, but I have no problem with what he's doing, and I think it's smart. And and to to say, hey, look, I if you're if you don't want to play for that organization, I understand it's not a good organization. And you know, use your leverage to, 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 to get out of it. So I have no problem with it. I, I don't think he'll, I think he'll end up going pro. And, but once he goes pro, then he loses a little bit of that leverage. Now it's just like, well, I'm just not going to play for you. But right now, until the deadline for the NFL passes, he has the leverage to say, I'm going back to college because he's a true junior. He'll be a true senior next year. So I have no problem with what Caleb did. And, and as a as a John Elway fan and a Denver Bronco fan, I'd be an absolute freaking hypocrite if I didn't have that stance. But I also think it's the purpose. I had no, I had no problem when Eli Manning did it. Bo Jackson did it. Bo Jackson didn't want to play for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. It was a little bit of a different situation, but he didn't want to play for Tampa Bay. The owner kind of insulted him and all those kind of things. And so he used his leverage to not play for Tampa Bay because he was another guy that could go play baseball. So I, I have no I have no problem with with what Caleb is doing. John A1 asks, how many potential national college football stars are on the Notre Dame roster going into the 2024 season? This is a great question, John. So let's define stars. And and, um, I don't believe, John, that you have defined that. So I will will kind of kind of get into that. And, And so let's look at it. The star. A star to me is someone who's an all American legit All-American, or someone who is a dynamic impact player. Because not every player who's an impact player is is, a, is an All-American. So who are the guys that have a chance to be college football stars? Guys that are known as like, wow, that's a that's a dude. Okay, I, here, here's my list that have potential. It's a bigger list. Not all these guys are going to reach this level, but here's my list. number, And this is for 2024, as you said, into 2024. So not... You know, Cam Williams can be a star in 2025 or 2026, but I don't I don't view Cam as being a star in 2024 just yet. So 2024, Riley Leonard, a quarterback. I think both of the running backs at the top, Jer- Jeremiah Love and Jadarian Price, have chances to become stars. It, it, and, and their unique situation is they could become like a star duo where maybe not one of them goes out and rushes for like um, – 
you know, 30,000 and all those kind of things. If you look at it, you you could maybe not have one of those guys be a 1,500-yard rusher. But I think as a duo, as a duo, I think you could see those guys become like, wow, that one-two punch at Notre Dame is phenomenal, even if one of them by himself doesn't do it. At wide receiver, I don't know that there's any potential stars on the 2024 team. You know, maybe Chris Mitchell breaks out and has one. I, I think Chris Mitchell could be very good. I don't know if I see star. I don't know that Bo Collins can be that. I don't know if Jordan Faison can be that. I don't know if Jaden Greathouse can be that. I think Mitchell Evans could be that at tight end. But then my question is, how many games is he going to play? You know, he tore his ACL in November. Is he going to be back by September and be full speed? I, I don't know the answer, or actually be late August. I don't know the answer to that, but he's got a chance to be that. Well, there's a couple offensive linemen. I mean, Charles Jagasaw might be a year away, but we saw Joe Walt become a star in, in year two. May, maybe Charles can. He's not as advanced as Joe was, but maybe him. I could see one of Ashton Craig or Billy Shrouth, if not both, kind of stepping into that potentially they're a little further down my list just because they're young and I need to see more of it. They got three career starts. It's a lot of pressure to put on them, but I think they have the tools to do it. I, I'm not saying they're going to do it, but they have the tools to do it because here's the thing too, is with linemen, it, it, it's, you can become an all American, even if you're not one of the five best offensive linemen because of the, how good your team is. And that's part of it as well. Um, defensively, when I look at the defense, you know, Howard Cross is already an all American, I think Riley Mills has a chance to be that kind of guy. I believe that Benjamin Morrison already is a star. Xavier Watts already is a star. They're both there. I can see Christian Gray becoming kind of that, you know, wow, uh, nobody throws a Benjamin anymore, and they're just throwing at Christian all the time, and Christian makes six, seven interceptions. And, you know, he's he, like like we saw a couple years ago at the, with Cincinnati where, you know, Kobe Bryant wins the, the – uh, the Jim Thorpe Award, which is just one of the worst, Ryan and I have talked about this before, just one of the worst uh, trophies out there, just because of how bad it is. As far as they just always get it, like, I mean, it not not like okay, wrong. You know, we could debate the Heisman. Should it have been Pennick? Should it have been Jane Daniels? I thought it should have been Jane Daniels, but somebody wants to make a case for Michael Penix. You know, I'm not going to tell you you're nuts for making that case for Michael Penix. I mean, there's a lot of years where it's like, it's debatable. I mean, there was one year it was Charles Woodson, Peyton Manning and Randy Moss. Like they all had a legitimate case to make to win Eisman trophy. The Jim Thorpe award. It's like, it's like that, that yeah, it's debatable, but that guy shouldn't have been in the debate. And so then you, you had, it was, I think it was 2021, right? It was the year that Cincinnati went to the, the college football playoff and, and Kobe Bryant wins it. And, and you're just like, dude, he wasn't even like the best cornerback on his team. You know, he finished with three interceptions and 45 tackles and 11 pass breakups. And you're just like, you know, Ahmad Gardner only has four pass breakups. He only had, you know, he he has, he has three interceptions, but only four pass breakups. And you're just like, hold on a second. Like that guy's clearly the best cornerback on the team. The reason his numbers weren't as good is because people didn't throw at him. And then, you know, Kobe Bryant wins the Jim Thorpe Award. I mean, there's always stuff like that uh, where you could see that with Benjamin, where Christian Gray gets a ton of the love for that. I think he could be a star. I, I don't I don't know that outside of that I see a lot of other stars on the Notre Dame defense. I actually think there's a, a greater there's a greater number of guys that have star talent and star potential, and, and they're at a place in their career where they could become stars on offense than there is on defense. I think the defense, again, you know, you know could – could a Drake Bowen or a Jaden Osbury or Jalen Sneed break out and, and kind of have a star, you know, become stars this season like Jeremiah Wusu Kormo did in 2019? I know he got all the love in 2020, but Jeremiah Wusu became a star in 2019. And and then, of course, that great season led to all the attention he got in, in 2020 and when he became an All American. But it, 2019, you know, the kid finished with 80 tackles, 13 and a half tackles for loss, and five and a half sacks. The next year in 2020, he finished with 62 tackles, 11 tackles for loss, and only one and a half sacks, but became a, you know, you, you know, consensus. I think, actually, I think he was a unanimous All-American. Well, he was great that year, but a lot of it was the reputation you built from the year before, right? So maybe that could happen with those linebackers, but I think 2025 is kind of where I'm, I'm more looking for, uh, for those guys to, to kind of be, I, you know, do, could, could an RJ Oben or um, breakout become a star? I mean, 
you don't often see Sixers become stars. Javante Jean Baptiste had a great year. If he just if he just replicates Javante's year, that's awesome. But he wasn't a star. You know, could Josh Burnham become that guy? Maybe. Maybe. I just I don't know that I see a lot of those edge guys. I think it could it, to me it's it's going to be more of, you know, the sum is greater than the individual parts. That's kind of how I view uh, what what we expect to see this season at, at linebacker. So those are my potential stars. And of course, Mitch Jeter can become one at kicker. I mean, the kid is incredibly accurate. And depending on how Notre Dame se- Notre Dame season go, I mean, if Notre Dame makes a run, you know, deep into the postseason and he's drilling kicks, he's going to hit some big kicks. Maybe he gets some All American honors. I hope that doesn't happen because when I say that is yes, I want him to continue to be accurate, but. Ideally, I don't want him kicking a lot of field goals. I hope he's like under 20 because I want them to be getting a lot of touchdowns. And, uh, you know, but but if they are in that situation, I could see him becoming a really known guy because of just the reputation you get by being a money kicker at a place like Notre Dame. Tyler Evans, how does Florida State get in trouble with NIL? I got to be careful here because I'm still trying to learn more about what happened to them. But but I, I, is it a coincidence that the first school to really get crushed for NIL is a team who's got state legislatures threatening to sue the college football playoff and ESPN for floor sake and left out. Does, does anybody else find that this, you know, just pure coincidence? I don't think it is. I, I, I think the NCAAs, I don't think this is a shocker at all. I think this is absolutely retribution for Florida state people pissing and moaning about them getting screwed over and not getting in the college football playoff. I, I absolutely think it's it's that. Now, did they cheat? Sure. Does that – did what they did – I mean, not cheat. Did, did they break a rule? Sure. Did that rule demand that they lose scholarships and and, and get this big public, you know, uh, you know, slap in the face type of thing? No, I don't think so. I'm like, of all the things going on right now, the the tampering that's going on, the, the blatant – just illegal you offering money. Cause like some of the things that you're doing with NIL, that's not legal. That's not what it's supposed to be. And, and the tampering, all these other kind of things. And like this, it, it just so happens of all the crap going on. I mean, we know that Jordan Addison is going to USC before he's entered the portal and nobody wants to be like, maybe something happened there. That's not right. Nope. Nobody cares. That we're not going to put, but but it just so happens that the school that goes after ESPN and goes after the college football playoff and has state legislatures threatening to sue, all of a sudden the school that's trying to you know sue to get out of the ACC, all this other kind of stuff, all of a sudden that school just that's the school that we go after for an IO. Sure, okay, sure it is, sure it is, okay, whatever you say. I'm sure it's total coincidence. So um, that's why I think FSU's getting in trouble, in my opinion. Doesn't mean that what they're being accused of isn't isn't accurate. It seem would seem that it is. But it's just kind of like I read it and I'm like, that's what they got in trouble for? Seriously? Like, I don't even know pre-NIL if that's something I would have been like, holy crap, take scholarships away. I mean, it's like, yeah, it's cheating, and you know, but you know, but this the way they did it, it's just ridiculous. Just absolutely ridiculous, in my opinion. All right, next we got Jay Pell 12 with Marcus Freeman's motto of challenge everything playing out before our eyes. What were the most evident areas that went unchallenged during the tenure of the previous coach? No, I will not say his name. This is a great question. And I think the biggest thing at the very top of this is the man himself, Brian Kelly. The biggest problem that Notre Dame had under Brian Kelly is that Brian Kelly would not allow himself to be challenged. He would not himself allow himself to be challenged by any of his assistants. He didn't like to be challenged by Jack Swarbrick and he wouldn't. And the problem with that is Marcus Freeman may not let his assistants challenge him. I have no idea. I haven't heard that, that he won't allow it, but I also haven't heard that like, you know, Hey, these coaches are going in there and challenging. I haven't heard either way, but with him, it's, it's one of those things that, that, you don't, you don't, I don't need someone else to challenge me. Like, I don't need my employees at Irish Breakdown to say, to challenge me. Hey, Brian, we're not doing good enough. Let's, because it, it, they're not like to me, I love their ideas. They, they do all these kind of things, but like, no one should be challenging me more than me. That, that's a big thing is nobody should be thinking more about how we can grow and get better and do this and do that than me. 
And if so, if, if they are, then that's that's a me problem. And so I know that Marcus Freeman, at the very least, I don't know what's going on with the staff and the makeup and what's allowed. I, I don't know. Again, one way or the other, I don't know. I haven't heard anything about that. But I do know that he 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 himself will challenge himself, and that's a huge thing. Brian Kelly never did that. Brian Kelly was was just that person who, when when things didn't go right, he was always looking for an angle to spin it, you know, and, and somebody else to blame. And Marcus Freeman is the polar opposite of Brian Kelly in that regard. And so I think that to me is the biggest thing is what went unchallenged. It was Brian Kelly, you know the 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 the, the constant failures of of coaches that he would not hold accountable. The coaching staff was constantly unchallenged in the right way. I mean, you know, it's like sometimes I just felt like I was this, you know, this, this lone wolf. Like, am I the only one that sees this? Am I the only one that sees how bad the offensive line coach is? Am I the only one that sees how bad this defensive coordinator is? And, you know, that was a big thing too. Is just, and then when Jack Swarbrick finally did step up and challenge it, it was like it was kind of like too little, too late. And I don't blame Jack Swarbrick for that because you, as the AD, you need to let your head coach kind of run his program. And and it the, it's it's absurd that the AD even had to step in with some of those, which he did. That's again, it's the head coach being unchallenged. You know, th- those are those are different things. Th- that's an aspect of it. I just think the overall lack of of leadership from the head coach was something that was a big problem in my opinion during that time. Oh, uh, uh, you know, I, I think just, that's just the biggest thing. It's, it's Brian Kelly being on it. That bleeds into so many different things of, of the way that they prepared the big game moments, the, all these different things that he was just completely unwilling to look in the mirror and say, this was on me. This is a hundred percent on me. Uh, like what was it after the Tulsa game in 2010? when he takes his freshman quarterback who doesn't have a very strong arm, who who stepped into that game right in the middle of the game because your starter got hurt. So this isn't even like he had three starts under his belt. This is his first game, and you're in field goal range. You have a very accurate kicker on your football team, and you make the decision to have that kid roll out, roll out, and throw the football down the field when you're down a point, right? Wasn't it like 28-27? You're down a point against a against Tulsa. You're in field goal range, and you've got a kicker who was 18 of 19 on the season. And you do a rollout throwing the ball downfield. And what does Brian Kelly say after the game? Get used to it. What? What are you talking about? Go listen to what he talked about after the Northwestern game in 2014 when he made two of many big mistakes that game. But one was... Let's call a jet sweep to Chris Brown inside the five-yard line where it hits quickly to a kid who's never carried a jet sweep in his career at that point in time. And that 2014 was Chris Brown's junior season. Never never had a rushing attempt in his life, and they give him the ball inside the five. And then the other one is you're up 11. You score a touchdown to go up 11, and you chose to go for two to make it a 13-point game instead of a 12-point game, which was a incredibly dumb decision because if you don't get it, it's an 11 point game, which means they are two scores away from tying the football game. Cause here's the thing. If they score two touchdowns, they're beating you, whether you get the two point conversion or not. Right. But if you go up 12, they need a third score if they don't get two touchdowns. So what Northwestern did is they scored, they kicked the field goal, scored a touchdown, got the two point conversion and tied the game up where if you just kick the extra point, go up 12, they can't kick a field goal. They have to try to go for it. Maybe your defense stops them. Maybe it doesn't because you had Brian Van Gorder running it. But those are just those are things. But like, there was never a challenge on that. There was never there was never like a. And I don't mean by the media because it's not our job to to tell Brian Kelly how to run his football team. We we critique. We tell the story. We are critical and all that. But like, you know, Brian Kelly making those decisions shouldn't stop because Brian Driscoll or Tim Priest or Tim O'Malley or. Or or loose emoji called him on it. It should change because his coaches. What are you doing here? As I said this at the time, coach, kick the extra point. There's no need to go for it here. But but either a they didn't feel that they could speak into that, or b he didn't listen to them. Again, that all comes down to the, to the, the a head coach that was not willing to challenge himself. And that's what it boiled down to for me was just it was stuff like that. His 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 arrogance and unwillingness to look in the mirror and say. This is on me. And whenever he would say it was on me, 
you could always tell that he didn't really believe it. It was just like he's saying that because he knows he needs to say it because he's a good politician. But he never meant it. And then you'd hear things behind the scenes how basically he'd throw the people under the bus. Yeah, it's Sam Mustafer's fault that you keep running shotgun snaps in a hurricane. Okay, sure, buddy. Yeah, let's blame Sam Mustafer for that. It's not you and your decision to throw the ball that many times in a hurricane game. It's not you and choosing to go under shotgun the entire game and not being prepared for the elements, which we all knew were going to be bad. Sure, let's blame Sam Mustafer. Makes total sense. Good call, coach. That was what that was the biggest thing for me with Brian Kelly. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done.